River Valley. It's uh, great to be with you via video. I'm down in uh, Dallas, Texas here with Pastor Robert Morris and uh, wanted to just do this video uh, to talk about our giving series and to really uh, go to someone that really ministered to our church. You were with us a couple years ago yep. and uh, something phenomenal happened and our, our giving exploded, uh, went up about 50% that year and it was one of those things where our leadership, our elders, our deacons, we just felt that you brought a really amazing message to us. It was for us and uh, something that God's anointed you to do. And so we thank you for that. And so I came back down here to talk with you again. And uh, in our conversation, I found out this, that he also has a doctorate in literature. Yeah. And I am fearful because I don't want to drop a Yashur, you betcha, you know. So uh, you're not <laughs> going to It'll be okay. We're gonna be I okay? will not critique you. And actually, I think all of those phrases are grammatically correct. Yashur, you betcha? Yes, I think so. <laughs> oh, my lands? Um, yeah, that's grammatically correct. Too. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a little more uh, further north. We don't have a campus that far north. But uh, we really, we've been in this series and we've been talking about giving and uh, we've been talking about tithing and we've been talking about uh, putting God first and that has been a message. And uh, one of the things that I really think people get stuck by is having that mammon in their life. And I was wondering if you could explain that. The Bible says you can't serve God and mammon. You can't do it both. Yeah. But that's something that I think that people get confused when they read and I just thought we'd start there and have yeah. you explain that. Yeah, you know, there's really a misconception about the word mammon and that is that uh, many people think that mammon means money but it actually doesn't mean money. Uh, mammon is an Aramaic word that means riches. And in Jesus's day, uh, there was a Syrian god of riches called Mammon. And so when Jesus was referring to Mammon, the, the entire Jewish culture knew he was referring to a false god or a false deity that they actually prayed to and made sacrifices to for that deity, that false god, to bless them financially. In other words, if they wanted their crops to be blessed, if they wanted their finances to be blessed. Now, obviously, Jewish people who really believed in God didn't do this, but uh, Jewish people, as we know throughout uh, history, were pulled away by right. other gods. And so Jesus is saying, you cannot serve God, the true God, and this false God of riches. And, and I really see mammon as a, a spirit that still tries to influence us today. Right, which totally is different, because when you just said that, uh, people think it's money, yeah. and so they yeah. feel guilty with money, yeah. and they feel guilty with anything they have, yeah. they think it's, it's serving yeah, them. it's not money, because many people think money is bad. Money or money is evil. And the Bible doesn't say money is evil, it says the love of right. money is the root of all kinds of evil. But really what it's talking about is money is neutral. Uh, you can use your money for good things, or you can use your money for bad things. And mammon is a spirit that lies to us, that tries to get us to serve him. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. And so when you think about it, mammon is looking for servants. And what mammon does is actually promises us everything that only God can give us. Mammon promises us identity, security, uh, happiness, respect, right. honor. You know, if you had more riches, you would have more respect. Correct. You would be happier. happier. You'd have a better marriage. These are things only God can give us. Jesus never said to anyone, you need more money never said that to the blind man that said have mercy on me O son of David he never said you know what you need you, you know Judas who had the money box right you know get, give him an offering that wasn't what he needed he needed God and so we're constantly uh, pulled by are we going to serve um, uh, the pursuit of riches and money 
or are we going to serve God and trust God to provide for us? That, that's, that's really good because I, I think we feel, people feel guilty with it, and I think that's a huge breakthrough. But what do they do? Have you found anything for them to break through out of mammon? When he says, serve God or mammon, yeah. what, what, what is the key breakthrough? How do they get out yeah, of it? Yeah, really to me, the, the key breakthrough is when we really break through to generosity. Because when we give, we are trusting God then. We, we are saying, God, I believe if I do it your way, that you have the power to make it rain. In right. instance, if I plant the crops, you have the power to make it rain. I, I believe, God, in your ways. When I give you the first 10%, I believe the 90% that's blessed will go farther than the, than 100% that's not blessed. Right. So really the breakthrough comes in the area of generosity. We're, we're all born selfish. We really are. I mean, as children, we want people to look at us, uh, do things for us. Right. But we're born again generous. Every person who's born again is a generous person in his heart or her heart. But what we have to do is renew our minds. Sure, it's a uh, conflict. It's a conflict. <laughs> the mammon's saying hold, That's right. and this generous spirit that God has given to us is saying give, and it's who's going to win. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, if, if you don't believe mammon is a spirit, then my question is, how come it can talk? <laughs> because yeah. every time it's time to give or to make a commitment like you guys are about to do, then you've got something speaking to you. It, and that's a, that spirit of mammon. It says hold, yep, keep, yep, stay, yep. Uh, conserve. That's it. Let somebody else carry the weight, yep, all yep. the wrong and things. And the, uh, the, as I, we were talking a moment ago about uh, literature and grammar, you know, um, I was thinking about this a while back, and, and I think about grammar sometimes, and so don't, don't, I don't want to lose you, but, uh, you know, a complete sentence is a, a subject and a verb. You have to have a subject and a verb to have a complete sentence. Right. In other words, two words. Now, you can have an exclamatory sentence, which is one word, like, wow. Sure. And you can even say it backward. Wow. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, but the point is, you have to have a subject and a verb. So I thought a while back, well, what is the subject of the Bible? And obviously, the subject is God. God's right. the subject of the Bible. And, and someone said a while back that we're the subject of the Bible. We're really not. No. We're the object. In other words, God loves the word. He loves yes, us. Yes, he poured his he, love on us. Yes. Um, but I, I, asked, I was asking a, a, a Bible college class a while back, what's the, what's the verb? And most say love. And I really don't think love is the verb because even the most famous verse in the Bible tells us, for God so loved that he gave. gave. Yeah. gave. Giving is the action of the whole Bible. When you think about it, we are here today and, and you're here today in church because God gave his son. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't right. even be here. We're here today because Jesus gave his life. He even said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down or I give it myself. We're here because we gave our lives to Jesus Christ. So really, when we step into giving, I believe it is when we are the most like God. God's main action, yes, it's because of his love. It's because of his love. But his main action is giving. He yes. is constantly giving to us. And when we learn to really give and to give extravagantly, that's when this spirit, this, this, this selfish hold on our lives is broken. That is huge. We're gonna continue this in just a second here, but I want you to listen to something from your campus pastors real quick as they talk to you. We wanna talk just a little deeper about breaking that and some practical steps of getting out of that spirit of mammon. 
We're going to be going back and forth a little bit between the video and live teaching here, Uh, so we'll be going back to them in a few minutes, but uh, it's quite an honor to uh, speak alongside of them. Pastor Morris speaks to about 15,000 people every week, Pastor Rob about 5,000, and my wife and daughter love hearing me talk, so you guys are about to get the good stuff, so as you're Apple Valley Campus Pastor, hold on for a few minutes here, Uh, but... uh, if you, if you just joined River Valley Church in the last couple uh, months, or maybe even last year, and you have not heard Pastor Morris's No Strings Attached sermon series, I grew up in the church, I'm a pastor's kid, I have heard more sermons than you care to know, and it is one of the best sermons on money I have ever heard. It's outstanding. Uh, you will not waste your time if you go online to the River Valley Church media page, and uh, no strings attached, just a great, great sermon. But this concept of God and mammon is a really interesting concept to me. I wonder why we still struggle with it. The spirit of materialism This idea that we have to have more, we have to have better, this lack of contentment. Through history, we see that money does not solve it, that money, this false god, is an absolute tyrant. It will crush you. It will leave you so completely hopeless, wanting more. But God, on the other hand, is completely opposite. He is the source of contentment. He is the source of all things good in this life and in all eternity. And the Bible draws a very clear line. They referenced it in Matthew 6. Very clear line in Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll stand by and be devoted to the one and despise and be against the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, deceitful riches, money, possessions, or whatever is trusted in. You know, mammon at its core is very selfish. It's very self-centered, and the reason it's difficult to break is because we're born this way. We're born with a mentality of self-preservation. Me, mine, just grasp, just hold on to it. My wife and I, 19 months ago, had a chunk of awesomeness named Amelia Joy. She is an amazing little girl. She is learning how to talk. She's learning how to walk. She's running around our house, and Whatever she'll grab onto, she'll grab a hold of one of my boots and she'll say, me, mine, like it's hers. I don't remember ever teaching her me, mine. Uh, Tara doesn't ever remember teaching her the word me, mine. It's just not one of those words that we're trying to teach her uh, about, but it's in her. It's just me. It's mine. But I believe the good news that the Bible teaches us is that we can break this spirit of materialism that is so prevalent in us and in our society We can have this spirit of generosity just like our creator God. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that when when God lives in us, the spirit of God takes residence in us. And we can have the same spirit of generosity like our God. And there's a big difference between the worldly mindset and the kingdom mentality, God's mentality. One is all about me, mine, hoard, keep, accumulate. The other one's all about others, distribute, Give generosity. Now, have you ever met somebody that that hoards a lot of stuff? Have you ever seen that TV show, Hoarders? I've actually never seen it. I've heard about it. Uh, The other night, I think it was Tuesday night, uh, I was listening to the CBS Evening News, and there was a lady that was hoarding 49 cats. 
crazy, right? Um, now, you have to know this about your uh, campus pastor. Uh, what I love like crazy is chocolate chip cookies. And uh, I, I preached about this a long time ago. And uh, for the like, next month, I got chocolate chip cookies on my desk. But that's kind of faded. So bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> so I love chocolate chip cookies. Cats, on the other hand, I'm not physically allergic to cats. But emotionally, I am very allergic <laughs> to cats. I don't get it. They climb up on me. My mother-in-law's got a cat. This cat climbs up on me, rubs up on me. I don't know how this cat cannot feel the hate that oozes <laughs> out of me. Maybe that's a little strong. No, that's not strong enough. I hate that cat. I don't get it. Now, here's the reality is, I don't know, hopefully none of us in this room are guilty of hoarding 49 cats or would ever make it on the TV show or evening news for what we hoard. Um, but are we consumed with accumulating, getting more and more, better and better, or with a kingdom mentality, are we consumed with distributing, giving, generosity? I think there's some uh, very practical things that we can do to break this spirit of mammon and become more generous like our creator God. I think we can do things that firmly put our trust in God and not in mammon. I think the first thing is we can absolutely be, uh, re refuse to be distracted by the lies of mammon and simply do what the Bible teaches us to do. Before the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, the Bible says that as followers, we are to tithe, we are to give our first 10% as an act of honor to say, God, I trust you. I will honor you. What you have given me, I will honor you with it by giving you the very first 10%. That's one way. The New Testament goes above and beyond the 10% and says, let's be New Testament givers that go way beyond 10%. Let's not stop there like Pastor Rob referenced last week, let's give until we're audited. It's so crazy, the IRS looks at us and says, that's crazy, that's not normal, there's something not right about that. We can refuse to be distracted by the lies of mammon and simply trust God and say, I will do what you tell me to do. I think we can also cultivate contentment. Cultivate contentment. This is opposite of the campfire mentality. You know, campfire mentality. You've always got to have s'mores, s'mores, s'mores. <laughs> Pastor Rob literally told me I had to put that into my notes. <laughs> I said, it's not going to work. He said, put it in your notes. So, all right, s'mores. <clears throat> Hebrews 13.5 says this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. True happiness, true contentment is not found in stuff, not in having, not in getting, not in doing. It's found in authentic, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the source of all things good. He is the source of contentment. I think a third thing we can do is commit to an eternal plan. Think about heaven more. Think about eternity more. We have a spiritual obligation to a higher calling. 
In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them, his disciples, his followers, and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you uh, to the very end of the age. We have a higher calling. We have a higher purpose to know God and to make him known everywhere that we can go. Whether that's here or in Swaziland, let's commit to an eternal focus. No one on their deathbed is going to think about how much is in their bank account, how little or how great. Two of my heroes in life were both my grandpas. They were godly men. One was a very modest, simple preacher. One was a very successful farmer. One had very little. One had a lot. Neither of them, days before they passed away, had the opportunity to talk to them both. Neither of them ever whispered anything about money. Never a word about money. But they both talked about the relationships that they had in their life. They talked about the love of Jesus Christ. And they both said, Justin, take the gospel as far as you can take it. Never talked about money on their deathbed as they slipped into eternity. One of my favorite quotes by a missionary, Jim Elliott, who gave his life as a martyr, said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That is an eternally focused mindset. A commitment to an eternally focused plan will absolutely affect our time, our priorities, and certainly how we spend our money. Right before we hear uh, more of Pastor Rob and Pastor Morris, I think one of the last things that we can do is we can give right away. No hesitation, no second thought, just simply give right away. Luke 19, 8 says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount." amount. I love Zacchaeus' response. He stood up and said, here and now. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to hesitate. I'm not going to give second thoughts. Here and now, I'm going to give. You know, when I think about my own life, I had amazing parents that gave me an incredible example of trusting God. I have never once regretted giving, at times even more generous than I thought I should. Never once regretted it. But there have been many occasions where I've bought something and I regretted it. And I wished I could have given it back, but it was too late. Never once regretted giving and giving generously. Let's hear more from Pastor Rob and Pastor Morris. I'm loving this, and I hope that you guys are as well. A little handoff sermon back and forth, but uh, really, generosity is where we want to go now. I want to talk about going, if we can break the spirit of mammon, where can we go? What does God have for us at another level of giving and generosity? Yeah. You know, there are many, many generous gifts in the Bible uh, when you think about it. You know, David gave, if you take it and take what David gave to the temple 
and try to translate it to our economy today. Right. Uh, many theologians say that it was around $21 billion. With a B. With a B, yeah. Wow. Which is just amazing. That's, that's an extravagant or a generous gift. But there's another generous gift that a lot of people don't think about, and that is the woman who gave the two mites, the widow. Right. That was a, a generous gift. Because Jesus even said, this, she gave more than the rest of them. Right. You know? And of course, obviously, the most generous gift in the Bible is God giving his son. Sure. But there's another generous gift, and that is when Mary, the sister of Lazarus, who okay. was raised from the dead, right. John chapter 12, he right. was raised in 11, John chapter 11. Well, he wasn't raised in John 11, but we hear about <laughs> it. We read about it in John 11. <laughs> but, uh, but the point is, though, that uh, she uh, anointed the feet of Jesus with perfume, which was 300 denarii. Uh, a denarii is the plural of denarius, which is a day's wage. Sure. So that's really about a year's wage, 300, you work about 300 days a year. So she took a bottle of perfume, and just think about whatever your yearly salary is, that cost an annual salary, right. and anointed his feet. And Judas gets mad. Sure. And, and the Bible says the reason Judas got mad was because he had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. Right. And um, Jesus said, you know, leave her alone. She did this for my burial. This is actually on Wednesday night before he goes to the cross on Friday. Right. So it, it's, it's amazing what she does. But it was an extravagant, generous gift. But I want you to notice what Judas does. He says this could have been sold and given to the poor. So many times selfishness masquerades in good intentions. And we right. look at the generosity of someone else and, and we criticize it. But we really don't need to do that. To be generous, we need to simply look within our own heart and do what God tells us to do. And, and when you're making a commitment or giving an offering, you don't need to worry about what someone else does. You've got David giving this much and then the widow giving this much. We simply obey God and do what God tells us to do. And that is a generous gift. And uh, one other thing about this is why would Mary give such a generous gift? Uh, but uh, you go back to that her brother had just been raised from the dead. Sure. I think she had a completely different perspective on life and on possessions. Once she saw, listen, this is not just about this earth. This is about it, so much more. It's a wake-up moment. And I mean, I think we have them in a lot of different areas. I know that uh, it was a few years ago I had a wake-up moment that, you know, I wasn't going to be here forever. And all of a sudden my eyes were on the younger generation. And I was like, I have to train them up. There's a wake up moment. There's a generosity moment where people realize my life has been changed. I, I, I'm gonna give whatever I can. Yeah. There are wake up moments and you're saying she had that. That was a key yeah. to a generosity yeah. moment. She, yeah, she did. She had that key to generosity. You know, Rob, what really blew me away about the first miracle that Jesus ever did, turning water into wine at a wedding was that it wasn't healing a sick, per sick person or raising a dead person. It was actually meeting the physical, financial need of a family. Right. And it was very embarrassing to run out of refreshments at a wedding reception. Right. And so it had nothing to do with um, uh, something for the kingdom in essence. Sure. It was sure. just a family's need. And here's what the Lord showed me through that is that God is concerned about my family. The needs that are in my family, he's concerned about. And I'll never forget the Lord speaking to me very, very clearly. It's when we were building one of our buildings here at the church. And he said to me, if you will build my house, I will build your house. Mm, and I've true. always, every time I think about giving to the church, I have a confidence in me that if I build God's house, God in turn is actually concerned about and builds my house. 
All this has been so good and uh, exactly what we needed. And I want to ask that our campus pastors right now would then share uh, what is going on around each campus and what has God called each campus to do this year over and above our tithes and where are we going to advance the cause of Christ. And uh, I believe that if we will take care of God's house, he will take care of our house. And I believe he's concerned about our needs. And uh, somebody needed to hear that today. God is going to take care of you if you take care of God's house, and uh, it is a good thing to be generous. Let's break that spirit of mammon on the church and go forward and, and advance the kingdom of God. In a minute, I want to share the goal that we have as a campus for uh, Kingdom Builders 2013, but I want to go back to uh, the story of uh, Jesus' very first miracle in John 2. Uh, if you know the details of the story, it's kind of a funny story because Jesus and his mother Mary are at this wedding, and, and Jesus really doesn't want to perform this miracle. He doesn't want to uh, kind of tip his hand yet, um, but, but Mary thinks it's time, and, uh, and she kind of, as the mother, puts her foot down and says, you're going to do this, son. It's your time. And, uh, and in Matthew 2, or excuse me, John 2, 5, um, his mother, Mary, turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. I think it's interesting that even Jesus was obedient to do what he was told. The servants were obedient to do what they were told. Are we obedient to do what we are told? I think all of us, no matter where you're at in your faith, want to hear God's voice. Would the creator of this universe speak to me? Would he say something to me? But maybe does he and we ignore him? He drops something heavy on your heart and says, I want to trust you. Will you do this? Will you give this? Will you go here? And fear rises up and we begin to listen to the lies of mammon and said, no, 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 you can't do that. You got to stay here. You got to accumulate more. If you do that, you're going to run out. But he's speaking to us all the time saying, just trust me. Trust me. Our goal is big. But I believe that if each one of us simply listens to the voice of God, hundreds and thousands, if not tens of thousands of people this year, their lives will be changed for all eternity because we listen and respond obediently to the voice of God. As a church, our goal is 2.5 million. I believe this campus can take on more than half of that. I believe we can take on 1.38 million. I believe 1.5 we can get to. But our goal is 1.38. That's just how the numbers worked out. So we get 1.38 million. I believe we can make an eternal difference if we simply say, God, what do you want me to do? And we say, God, I will trust you. I want to talk right here before I close about the attitude of the Apostle Paul, just an amazing, amazing follower of Christ. Philippians 4, 11, 13, give us his attitude towards life. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much with much as with little. 
have found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry. Hands full, hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I don't know about you, but I want my attitude to be more like the Apostle Paul's. I want to live content. I want to live hands empty. I was thinking about this scripture. The interesting thing about our hands is that when our hands are faced up, we're still holding on. We're still grasping. We've still got some control over it. When we turn our hands over, whatever's in our hands has to fall out. Can't hold on anymore. Have to trust. Perhaps the Apostle Paul is saying, I've learned to live hands empty. He says, God, whatever you trust me with, whatever you put in my hands, I'll turn them over. Say, God, it's yours. You gave it to me, I'm turning it over. Palms down. I'm going to live hands empty. If he gives you a little, I'm turning it over. I trust you. He gives you a lot, I'm turning it over. I trust you. Is that your attitude? God, you can trust me. Whatever you put in my hands, I'm turning them over. I'm giving it to you. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for your words. God, I thank you that we can put our trust in you and that you are our source of contentment, of life, purpose, joy, all things good. God, give us the courage to trust you. Give us the courage to live hands empty not listening to the voice of mammon, the voice of materialism, but to say, God, I trust you. Whatever you give me, I'll turn it over to you to advance your kingdom here and around the world. Most importantly, God, may we never, ever for a moment take for granted the ultimate generous gift of your son, Jesus Christ came, that lived for us, that died for us, that rose again for us. We love you, Jesus. It's about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.